Hello and welcome to the First Dan Football Show. I'm your host Tobias Brown and we are back with episode 13 and in today's episode we're going to be recapping, rehashing all of those conference championship games that we just watched. But before we get into that I want to hit you guys with all the news and notes from around the NFL. I think we've got to start with the big one. Is Tom Brady retiring? Came out yesterday from ESPN's Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington that Tom Brady was set to retire after 22 years in the NFL. Um... For about an hour, everybody was kind of saying their farewells to Brady. You know, you had guys like Julian Edelman, Mike Evans, former teammates of Brady's, come out, congratulate him on a you know great career, and wish him well in retirement. And then after about an hour, the retirement tweet from the official TB12 account, the Tom Brady account, was deleted. And then shortly after that, you hear reports that Brady talked to Tampa Bay Buccaneers GM Jason Licht and said, hey, I've not made an official decision on whether I'm going to retire or not. I'm not close to making a decision yet. Then it comes out that Bruce Arians is like, we know nothing about him retiring. We don't know that he is retiring. And then Tom Brady Sr., Tom Brady's dad, came out and said, hey, he's not made a decision. Any reports of him retiring are erroneous. And ESPN at this point is sticking by the report that Brady is set to retire. ESPN is backing their reporters, both Schefter and Darlington, saying they are set to retire. And it's not as if Schefter and Darlington are just, you know, two scrubs or two nobodies in the industry. Adam Schefter is considered considered one of the best insiders for information in the NFL. And Jeff Darlington is known as one of the closest reporters to Tom Brady's inner circle. Darlington, of course, was the reporter who broke the news of Tom Brady leaving the Patriots to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So obviously well connected with the inner circle of Tom Brady. At this point now, the speculation is, is Brady so, you know, hacked off? Is Brady so upset at the notion that this was leaked, that now his plans to retire have been exposed? that he didn't get to control the narrative, that he may come back for another year of football just to kind of go out on his terms and control the narrative. I don't think that's the case. I truly do believe Tom Brady is retiring at this point. Um, You know, for one, his wife, Giselle Bündchen, has been saying for a while she's kind of ready for him to retire. You know, there's been several interviews they've done where she knows, she said in one interview specifically, I know I'm not Tom's first love, his first love is football. Um, has kind of been dropping hints for a while that she's ready for Tom to retire. And Brady's not getting any younger. His kids aren't getting any younger. Um, I really think at this point, Tom is walking away. I do think Tom is furious at the, the fact that this got leaked and that he wasn't able to control the narrative. However, I don't think that's going to be enough for him to stay, especially given the turnover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have. I think Rob Gronkowski is retiring. I think they're going to lose Leonard Fournette. I think they'll probably lose guys like Ndamukin Sue and Chris Godwin. I expect O.J. Howard to be gone. So the roster is going to look substantially different. If Byron Leftwich gets a head coaching job, obviously that's his offensive coordinator gone as well. And how many you know, coaches does Leftwich take from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? wherever he goes. So I do expect Brady to move on at this point, but moving on from that one, we also need to touch on um, former first round corner out of the Ohio state university, Damon Arnett. He gets arrested. He has been cut by the Kansas city chiefs. Arnett's kind of had a uh, checkered history in the NFL was a first round pick. It was seen as a reach at the time when the Raiders took him in the first round. He got cut earlier this year by the Raiders for brandishing a firearm on a Instagram live video, threatening someone with a firearm. Um, So he got cut, went to the Miami Dolphins, spent the rest of the regular season on their practice squad. The Dolphins chose to let his practice squad contract expire and not give him a futures contract. 
About 10 days ago, the Kansas City Chiefs decided to give Damon Arnett a futures contract, but Arnett was just arrested and charged with assault with a deadly weapon for pulling a firearm on a valet worker. He's also been charged with, I believe, four other felonies. So it it sounds like Arnett's run in the NFL is going to be coming to an end. Obviously, you hope he gets the help he needs. I mean, it's sad to see a former first-round pick and a guy who had potential to be a good corner in this league just kind of waste it with poor decisions. Um, But the Las Vegas Raiders, they've hired their head coach, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. He has been named the new head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And the Raiders also hire director of player personnel, Dave Ziegler. Um, So they, they get two guys from the New England Patriots. Ziegler, of course, is going to be the new Raider general manager. Um, Like I said, Ziegler spent the past nine seasons with the Patriots in the scouting department. And this past year is their director of player personnel. Um, Before that, he spent three years with the Denver Broncos. So definitely well-known in the NFL ranks. Josh McDaniels was a one-time head coach of the Denver Broncos in his tenure as Broncos head coach. He went 11 and 17. He's been a longtime Bill Belichick assistant, a longtime offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. Um, at one point, it sounded like Belichick, I mean, it sounded a couple of years ago that Josh McDaniels had a deal in place to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts before he backed out of that deal. So I, I don't really love this hire for the Raiders. I mean, I have been outspoken. It's very well known. I felt they needed to hire Rich Basaccia, who was their interim head coach this past season to be the head coach. I felt he weathered all of the storms that the Raiders had to go through this year admirably, led them to the playoffs and had them in a position to potentially win that playoff game. Um, Basaccia was well-respected by the locker room. Um, after it was, it came out that the Raiders had hired Josh McDaniels, uh, Raiders star defensive end Max Crosby took to social media to send a heartfelt message to Basaccia, thanking him for being his coach, letting him know how much he meant to Crosby as a coach. So clearly Basaccia resonated with the guys in the locker room. I felt like the Raiders needed to give him stronger consideration. And I just, I don't love the hiring of Josh McDaniels. He wasn't spectacular in Denver as a head coach. I've never felt that he was overly spectacular as a play caller with the Patriots. I kind of felt he rode the coattails of guys like Tom Brady. And we've seen other Belichick assistants get hired to be head coaches and it doesn't work out. You know, you go all the way back to Romeo Cronell when Romeo Cronell was hired to be the Cleveland Browns head coach. You think of Eric Mangini when Eric Mangini was hired to be the New York Jets head coach and then got a second shot when he got to be the Cleveland Browns head coach. Neither of those worked out very well at all. Um, You think, you know, McDaniel's tenure when he goes 11 and 17 with the Broncos, that clearly didn't work out. Matt Patricia was hired away. He was former New England Patriot defensive coordinator. He got hired to be the Detroit Lions head coach. That didn't work out. Brian Flores was somewhat successful, but still didn't work out completely. You know, you think of Joe Judge was hired to be the New York Giants head coach. He was just fired after two seasons. Bill O'Brien is probably the most successful former New England Patriot assistant to be a head coach. And even then, it was moderate success at Penn State and with the Houston Texans. The only other assistant who has been hired away that comes to mind is Brett Bielema, was a former New England Patriot assistant and had some moderate success as the head coach of the University of Wisconsin. Um, So really now the question becomes, who does Belichick hire to be the replacement offensive coordinator? A lot of rumors are circulating that it could be Bill O'Brien, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Alabama. 
I don't think that's a bad hire. I think Bill O'Brien is a smart offensive mind. I think if he's a coordinator, that is fine. I don't think you want Bill O'Brien to be your head coach, but as a coordinator, I think he could do a lot worse. But moving on from that, the New York Giants have also made it official with their head coaching hire. They hired former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dayball. Dayball's been with the Bills as their offensive coordinator since 2018. Prior to that, he spent one season with the University of Alabama as their offensive coordinator in 2017. Um, got his start in coaching with Nick Saban when Saban was the head coach at Michigan State, broke into the NFL in 2000 as an assistant with the New England Patriots, spent time coaching wide receivers and tight ends with two different stints on the Patriots coaching staff, has coached at numerous other places around the NFL. So Dayball comes highly regarded. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills offense has been very good since he and Josh Allen arrived in 2018. I think it's a good hire, and I also think the Bills are not the Bills. I think the Giants are making a good move here as well. It sounds like Dayball is going to be bringing in current Buffalo Bill quarterback coach Ken Dorsey as his offensive coordinator. If that move holds up, I think it's a great decision. Dorsey, um, of course, the former great Miami Hurricane college quarterback, spent some time in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns. He's got experience playing the position, and the Giants have come out and said they are sticking with Daniel Jones at quarterback this year. I think if you're going to stick with Daniel Jones, you have to give him the best chance to be successful, and it starts with the coaching staff. He's had a tumultuous coaching staff, whether it was Pat Shermer, Jason Garrett, Joe Judge. I mean, he just hasn't had good coaches coaching around him. I think guys like Brian Dayball and Ken Dorsey will be able to get the best out of Daniel Jones, and it'll allow the Giants to evaluate whether or not Daniel Jones is the guy. I think that's a slam dunk move. Moving on from that, the Chicago Chicago Bears have hired their offensive coordinator. Of course, they hired their head coach earlier this week when they hired former Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus to be their new head coach. Eberflus has brought in his offensive coordinator. That is former Green Bay Packers quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator Luke Getze. Getze also spent time coaching wide receivers in his time in Green Bay, broke into the NFL in 2014. Um, went down to the college ranks for a year in 2018 to be the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. But when Matt LaFleur was hired to be the new head coach of the Packers, he hired Getze to be passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. I like the hire for the Bears. I said if the Bears were going to go with a defensive coach, they needed to get a young, innovative offensive mind to help coach and you know bring up Justin Fields. I think Luke Getze, obviously having coached Aaron Rodgers, is a great thing. I think this was a good hire, all things considered, for the Bears. But let's not waste any time. Let's take a look at these conference championship games. And we're going to start with the NFC with that Rams and 49ers game. The Los Angeles Rams were able to get the win 20-17. to And this one really just kind of came down to one team making the plays when it mattered and one team just kind of, you know, shrinking when it mattered most. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, we've talked about it. He's just not a... You know, he's not a good starting quarterback in the NFL. I, I I think Jimmy Garoppolo is somewhere in the 20 to 25 range of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So he's he can be a nice bridge quarterback, you know, but he's not going to he's not going to quarterback a contender at this point. I think it's pretty apparent. Garoppolo went 16 to 30 for 232 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Um, he could have had more interceptions, though. The interception he threw late in the game, uh, he was about to get sacked, just kind of threw it up in the air. It gets tipped, intercepted. It ends the game pretty much at that point. But he also had a couple where he was rolling out, and we've seen Garoppolo on the run is just a bad thing. He makes some poor decisions. The one in particular, Jalen Ramsey just dropped the interception. Um, but, you know, 
they couldn't really get much going. I felt that Kyle Shanahan's play calling was really timid. I think specifically to the fourth quarter, they had it third and one in Ram territory. It was about, I believe, the 45-yard line. So third and one, and they run a fullback dive with Kyle Juszczyk. They don't get it. They actually lose yards, so it becomes fourth and two. And Shanahan doesn't go for it. He punts the ball away from the 45. And that's just not normal Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's known as an aggressive play caller, an innovative play caller. And it felt like he was really timid in his decision-making today. Felt like he held a lot back with the play calls. I just really felt like... Kyle Shanahan left this game with a lot still in his bag of tricks. There was no kind of package with Trey Lance in this game. I thought we might see that. It was really just kind of a disappointing play-calling game from Kyle Shanahan. And the Rams, I mean, the 49ers had chances. You know, I think in the fourth quarter, the Rams are driving. It's 17-14, and Stafford throws up a highly underthrown football. And all Jaquiski Tart had to do was catch the football. It was like catching a punt. And he had it go right through its hands. It hit him right in the numbers. It was one of the worst dropped interceptions I've seen in a long time. The Rams were able to capitalize on that. They were able to drive down the field, get into field goal range. Matt Gay was able to kick a field goal. They were able to tie the game at 17. The 49ers just, they wasted a lot of opportunities. There was a lot of opportunities in this game. And they, they committed some really stupid penalties too. You know, we talked about Tart dropping the interception. Well, the very next play, they get called for an egregious Helmet to helmet. It was just a stupid penalty. They didn't need to do it. Odo Beckham Jr. had caught the ball. He was on the ground. There was no need to launch yourself helmet to helmet. It was a bad penalty. They had the taunting call as well when Cooper Cup caught the ball and the linebacker stood over him. That was kind of a weak taunting call, but still, there's no need for it. Get back to the huddle. Make a play. Why are you standing over a guy who just caught a ball and made it, you know, third and three? I, I don't understand it. I felt like the moment... I don't want to say the moment was too big for the 49ers, but it just really felt like they beat themselves a lot today because really the Rams did a lot of things to lose this game, whether it was Sean McVay's usage of timeouts. I mean, Sean McVay challenged his, he lost his second challenge. So he lost his, you know, out of challenges with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. But the challenge he did there, he was challenging whether or not Kyle Juszczyk had fumbled the football he, he, you know, went with that challenge with only one timeout left. So when he lost that challenge, he lost his last timeout. And there were still about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was like, that that could come back to bite you. Now, it didn't come back to bite him. But in the Super Bowl play, you know, clock management, timeout usage is, you know, critical to winning the football game. And I felt like McVay's was very questionable. I think also to the time where they had first and 10, play clock running down, and instead of just taking the delay of game, he uses his second timeout to avoid it. And I know you don't want to be first and 15, but you also don't want to have one timeout still in the third quarter. I felt like his timeout usage was pretty poor there. I also felt like his challenge usage was pretty poor. You know, I kind of understood challenging whether or not Matthew Stafford had picked up the first down on that quarterback sneak on fourth down. It was close enough. You probably have to at least challenge it. But the use check, fumble or no fumble, it was clear as day when they showed the replay review in slow-mo that use check had possession of the football with his elbow clearly down. It was a very bad challenge. I don't know why McVay did it. I blame that on also his assistant coaches because usually these teams have a guy up in the box who's saying, hey, coach, you need to challenge that or, hey, coach, don't challenge it. It just really felt like McVay got some bad advice today in that regard. I will say Matthew Stafford is continuing his march to Canton. 
I think Matthew Stafford is putting together a postseason that's going to put him in the Hall of Fame someday. He goes 31 of 45 for 337 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. The interception was a pretty bad one. He tried to fit a ball into a tightly covered Cooper Cup on the first drive of the game. It gets tipped in the end zone and picked off. Interceptions in the end zone are obviously never a good thing, but if it's going to happen, you'd rather it happen on the first drive when you have an entire game still to kind of correct it. And he did correct it. I mean, Cooper Cup had a huge game, 11 catches, 142 yards, and two touchdowns, made big plays when it mattered the most. Odell Beckham Jr. also had a big game, nine catches, 113 yards. Kendall Blanton had a nice game for them. He had over 50 yards receiving. Couldn't really get the running game going. Again, their leading rusher was Cam Akers. He failed to eclipse 50 yards. Sony Michelle failed to eclipse Eclipsed 20 yards, so really couldn't get the running game going. It didn't matter in this game, but it could matter in the Super Bowl because, I mean, we've seen it. The Bengals are good at shutting down teams' best receivers. And Tyler Higby, the Rams' tight end, went out in this game. He was unable to return. It'll be interesting to see what his status will be for the Super Bowl. You know, these teams, you know, the Rams get, you know, a little bit of rest. You get two weeks off. And obviously, the Super Bowl being in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, the Rams don't have to travel anywhere. This is a home game for the Rams. Huge, huge thing for the Rams to be able to have a home game. Um, but let's look at the Bengals and Chiefs. The Bengals get the win in overtime, 27-24. to 24. And boy, was it a massive win. I mean, it really felt like the Chiefs were in control of this game. The Chiefs at one point in the first half were up 21-3, to and the Chiefs had the football first and goal driving up 21-10. to And, you know, it felt like they were probably going to have to settle for a field goal. They had thrown an incomplete pass with five seconds left in the first half at the one-yard line, and you felt like, okay, they'll trot out Harrison Budker, they'll kick the field goal, they'll go into halftime up 24-10. to But Andy Reid says that, Patrick Mahomes told him, I've got to play. I want to, you know, I want this one. Let me have it. So obviously you got a quarterback of the caliber of Patrick Mahomes. You're trusting that he'll run a play. If it's not there, he'll just throw it out of bounds real quick and at least leave you a second, right? Well, everybody was covered. Mahomes didn't have anywhere else to go with the football. So he threw a check down. Eli Apple made a great tackle inbounds. Clock runs out. Chiefs failed to get any points. And it really felt like that was the turning point of the game when the Chiefs failed to score any points at all right there. They came out in the second half, could not get it going. Mahomes never looked the same. I mean, Mahomes started this game 13-14 passing. He finished the day 26-39 for 275 yards, three touchdowns, was picked off twice, was sacked four times, was held to only 19 yards rushing. It just, coming off the performance he had in the divisional round against the Bills, you knew it was going to be hard to, you know, replicate that, but it felt like he was off to that start. It felt like at the beginning of this game, he was off to that start and just kind of, you know, slowly just never got it going. The second half really was just a shell of himself. Some really poor decisions. The interception in overtime that he threw to Von Bell was just a forced ball. There was no reason to force that. His first interception was just a great play by the defensive tackle, B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill was able to tip the ball up in the air and then catch it. Um, don't see D tackles make that a ton. So a great play there, but the big receivers for the chiefs, you know, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Hill, they did show up in this game. I mean, Kelsey had 10 catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. Hill had seven catches for 78 yards and a touchdown, but it came down to what we talked about. We talked about in the preview show that the chiefs were going to have to have somebody else step up. 
one of their other receiving options, whether it was Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Blake Bell, Miko Hardman, somebody else had to step up. And really, the Chiefs could not get anybody else to step up. And that's what lost them this game is nobody else stepped up. I mean, if, if you're the Bengals, we, I mean, we've got to start with your kicker, Evan McPherson. The rookie fifth rounder out of Florida is special. He goes four for four in this game with a long of 52, including the game winner in overtime at 31 yards. It's back-to-back weeks he's hit a game-winning field goal in playoff football. Last week, he hit a game winner against the Tennessee Titans. And McPherson broke Steven Gostowski's record of, you know, best kicking playoff, you know, best kicking performances by a rookie in the playoffs. You know, when Gostowski was a rookie coming out of Memphis with the New England Patriots, he went eight for eight in the playoffs. McPherson, after going four for four today, is now 12 for 12 in the playoffs, including four kicks of 50 plus yards. He has been money all postseason has been a huge help for the Cincinnati Bengals because they know, hey, if we get into field goal range, this kid is nearly automatic, and he just plays with a lot of confidence. And it was huge today because Joe Burrow statistically didn't have his greatest performance. Now, anybody who watched the game knows Joe Burrow played lights out. I mean, Joe Burrow, other than the questionable decision on the interception that he threw to Legereus Sneed, really played a great game. I think specifically to the play where Chris Jones, the Chiefs defensive tackle, had him dead to rights, and Burrow escaped the sack. Then Jones went for his ankles, and Burrow escapes it again, and then still is able to scramble for the first down. It was a massive play. Burrow finished the day 23-38 for 250 yards, two touchdowns, and the interception we talked about. And the Chiefs were able to somewhat keep Jamar Chase contained. We're used to Jamar Chase going for 150 yards, it seems like, these days. Chase had six catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was a great play. He was one-on-one with the corner. Burrow threw up a fade route, and Chase was just the better football player in that instance. Really, the receiver who stepped up for the Bengals today was T. Higgins, former second-round pick out of Clemson. He had six catches for 103 yards. Really just a great game for him. I want to give a shout-out to that offensive line. It didn't play great. They definitely struggled in pass protection at times. Burrow had a lot of pressure on him today. But when it mattered most, they were able to run block. They, you know... I I got frustrated several times watching this game with the Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, because the Bengals kept running the football on first down and then it would be second and nine, second and eight. And even Tony Romo and Jim Nance commented on it. At some point you got to throw the football on first down. At some point you got to stop running the football on first down, but Brian Callahan, he just kept running the football. And eventually the Bengal offensive line was able to, as the game went on, you know, kind of create some bigger holes for Joe Mixon to squirt through. So hats off to that Bengal offensive line. They made a slight change on it. Instead of starting Hakeem Adeniji at right guard, they started Jackson Carmen. He played respectably, you know, they still have a hole at right tackle. Isaiah Prince is still pretty bad, and he, he had another pretty bad game. But, you know, bottom line is they did enough to win the football game. I I think if you're the Bengals, the fact that you came into this season expected to only win about five games. You had a you know quarterback who last year was a rookie and had his season cut short, tearing his ACL. Um, you had to you lost a couple players this offseason, whether it was Carl Lawson leaving to take a big money contract with the Jets, William Jackson left to take a big money contract with the Washington football team. You had to try and replace them. They tried to do it in free agency, bringing in Trey Hendrickson from the New Orleans Saints. They brought in Mike Hilton from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it I mean it worked. Mike Hilton had a big play in this game. Trey Hendrickson has had big plays all season. Sam Hubbard also played really well for them. 
Um, Larry Ogunjobi, I know he didn't play in this game, but he was another offseason acquisition they brought in who's played really well for them this year. You know, they brought in Riley Reef in the offseason to hopefully solidify the right tackle position. He got hurt, and that's kind of why Isaiah Prince has been out there. But I just really feel like the Bengals have done a great job assembling this roster. I know they caught a lot of heat for not drafting Panay Sewell at number five overall because of how bad their offensive line is. And Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL again this year. But Jamar Chase went for over 1,500 yards receiving this year. Jamar Chase is a special football player. I think the Bengals have knocked it out of the park with their roster building. They have one of the best young cores of offensive talent, whether it's Burrow at quarterback, Joe Mixon at running back. You've got Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins at the receiver position. This football team, if they get an offensive line this offseason, this may not just be a one and done at the Super Bowl. This could be a repeat thing. And, you know, we got to talk a little bit about the Patrick Mahomes slander. Everybody's, you know, talking about, well, this just shows Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's not as good as everybody thinks he is. We we, got to stop there. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs were hosting their fourth straight AFC championship game. No team had ever done that. I mean, it was what they have been able to do is special. Coming into this game, Patrick Mahomes had never thrown an interception in an AFC championship game. And he had played in three. Coming into this game, Patrick Mahomes had thrown 26 touchdowns and only one interception at home in the playoffs. He has been a superstar quarterback. He's going to continue to be a superstar quarterback. But the AFC has some legit quarterbacks. I think back to when you know Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers were in the AFC. And you know Brady got the best of these guys a lot. And so you have guys like Peyton Manning, who only has two Super Bowls. Ben Roethlisberger only has two Super Bowls. Philip Rivers never went to a Super Bowl. That doesn't mean that those guys aren't as, you know, they're not superstars. They were superstar quarterbacks. It's just the quarterback play in the AFC is that good. You know, you look now, you got Patrick Mahomes. You got Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is a superstar. Joe Burrow is a top five quarterback in the NFL. I've been saying it for several weeks now. He solidified it today. You know, we talked about Josh Allen last week. Josh Allen is a superstar quarterback, also a top five quarterback in the NFL. He is going to get a Super Bowl in Buffalo. The quarterback play in the AFC is just that good. Patrick Mahomes can't win every game. And, you know, the guys around him today didn't play their best games, whether it's, you know, I think specifically to the guy they went out and got to play left tackle for them in the offseason, Orlando Brown. You know, they traded a first round pick to the Ravens to get him and he didn't show up today. He, I mean, he got manhandled several times by Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. I mean, Orlando Brown struggled in this game. Now, Patrick Mahomes did not play his best game in the second half. The pressure got to him. But this is going to happen. We've seen Tom Brady throw multiple interceptions in playoff games. We've seen Tom Brady get blown out in the playoffs. You know, this is going to happen. I don't think it's an indictment on Patrick Mahomes. I think we've got to chill the slander on Patrick Mahomes as a football player. He's still a great football player. I think we need to more praise what the Cincinnati Bengals have been able to do with just such an improbable turnaround. You know, a lot of people thought that there was going to be an Ohio team, you know, jockeying for a Super Bowl in the AFC. They just thought it was going to be the Cleveland Browns. But instead, it is the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow and those boys are going to be playing the Los Angeles Rams at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles in two weeks for a Super Bowl. Really, the questions, it's going to come down to health for both teams. Obviously, at this point in the season, guys are banged up. Both teams lost tight ends in this game. The Rams lose Tyler Higby, like we talked about. Will he be able to go? The Bengals, their stud tight end, CJ Uzama, he got carted off early on in the game. 
Sounds like he avoided a major injury. It, it sounds like it was just an MCL sprain. It'll be interesting to see if he would be able to get healthy enough in time to play in the Super Bowl. Um, but that's all we got for the review show today. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. We will be back Wednesday with Hot Take Wednesday. And then Friday, since you know Super Bowl's two weeks away, obviously we won't have a preview show on Friday. So I've got a fun little special in store for you guys then. But like I always say, rate, subscribe, review to the podcast. We will see you guys later and have a good one. 